you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. DJ Bucky back with you, Buck. We have uh, just a couple days here before we get this thing kicked off with the NFL, and no shortage of news to discuss today. No, no shortage of news. I mean, such a busy weekend, and you know it's always... Kind of crazy when you're coming off of cut day because everyone is trying to get deals done. We're seeing extensions made. We're seeing people reshape their practice squad rosters and turn over the bottom part of their roster. So it's really a lot of stuff to talk about. And I'm excited because football is only a few days away. Yeah, we're going to get to that uh, that big game here with Chiefs and Texans. Have some fun uh, looking at some uh, key aspects of that contest. Uh, but before we get to that and some other NFL news, I, I, did you get a chance to see any of the BYU-Navy game? I know you've always had an intrigue there with, uh, with the triple option, so I, I'm Man, guessing you checked that out. DJ, I not only checked it out, I taped it so I could, so I could keep it stashed in the archives. Like, because earlier this weekend I watched Army play Middle Tennessee State because I, I'm just fascinated that the service academies are going, how they're going, what are they doing. And, man, the BYU Navy game was interesting for a few different reasons. You heard the commentators on the broadcast team talk about Navy did minimal contact, no live tackling, tried to limit the physicality because they were really worried about COVID and the spread of COVID, and they didn't want to contribute to the pandemic. But DJ, the product that they put on the field without tackling and without any physicality, I mean, BYU just bullied them. And now BYU is a physical team. And I know when people hear BYU, they think of the old days with Lavelle Edwards and throwing it all over the yard. Yeah, this ain't Lavelle Edwards, BYU. They are a physical, rugged team. And their overall physicality at the point of attack just overwhelmed Navy at the beginning of the game. And it was the same way the the entire game. Yeah, we we talked about this, too, on the podcast because... Uh, we had talked about the different physicality of training camps we'd been associated with. And I talked about how I talked to a couple teams that said they were going to be going to the ground and practice just to get guys used to that. And then I know um, I, I think that the the Joe Judge, you know, Daniel Jones is going to get hit in practice thing kind of uh, freaked everybody out. And that was never going to really happen with the Giants. It kind of got blown out of proportion there when you when you listen to the whole conversation and context but I think there are a lot of teams and I'm not talking about the Giants a lot of other teams around the league that have tried to ramp up the physicality uh, more so than they would in a in a normal camp and I think last night was a good example of the benefits of that now they, they even mentioned hey we might have we might have an injury or two we might lose a guy but you know you kind of we got to be ready to go the difference I would say between college and the NFL where it's even probably more important in college is the NFL, you go, you know, two and two or one and three to start the season. Not great, but man, you still got 12 games left um, to try and right the ship. In college, you lose two or three games early in the season and any goal you had is pretty much gone. Yes, it's, it's pretty much gone. And for BYU, they're a team that only had eight games. So they only have eight games on their schedule based on the amount of games that they lost due to the pandemic. So they had to get to hit the ground running. And DJ, I... I'm going to say this because I'm a big believer, and and this comes from my experience uh, playing under Marty Schottenheimer, who probably ran one of the more physical training camps and also physical regular season practices. 
I I kind of believe like the more physical you are, the the fewer injuries that yeah. you have. Yep. Um, there is something to when you go and everybody knows that we're going full throttle. You have a tendency to protect yourself because you understand that I got to go at my max to protect. When you're operating sometimes at third tempo, everybody's third tempo is different. And sometimes you can get kind of lulled into a false sense of security. And when you play on games on Sundays, the game is so much faster, so much more physical than what you've experienced in practice that sometimes it can take a while to get adjusted to it. And I think that's what we saw from Navy. It took them an entire half before they were like, oh, we're, we're playing a real football game. Yep. And by then it was too late. Yeah, it's like you, you go bowling. Remember when you're a kid and you go bowling and they could put the little bumper rails up, you know, so that you can't get a gutter ball. It just bounces off of there. Your concentration level is a little different when those bumper rails go down. You know, oh, wait, I, I don't have that benefit here. Better concentrate a little bit or I'm going to throw in gutter ball after gutter ball here. So that, that to me is like practicing and, and having contact. Um, and look, I'm not saying this is something that you do all throughout practice, but, you know, Andy Reid, we talked about it, would just sprinkle in a live period here there. Hey, we're going to move the ball. We're going to move the ball at the end of practice a couple days a week. And when we move the ball, we're going to it's going to be real football. Yeah. You know, DJ, also, like I have found that when you add the live tackling part into any practice, it raises the energy level. of. Practice. Oh, yeah. Good like call. if you if you ever are, are overseeing a team and it's kind of eh, the one thing that you can always do to change it, hey, you know what, let's go live. And it may only be a five-minute live period, but that five minutes will get the energy up and it will change the tempo and the tenor of the rest of the practice. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I think we're going to see the difference in some of these teams, which, which the other side of it with the, in the NFL, Buck, is I think we'll see some teams maybe that aren't the most talented teams but that have really ramped it up that could get off to a little bit of a hot start. It could be fool's gold as the rest, as the rest of the league starts to catch up to some of those teams. Hey, DJ, the, the, the funny thing is you said that. I bet you there were a handful of coaches that just happened to be sitting around the dinner table that watched the game, and they heard, <laughs> they, they heard the comments, and they automatically went to their practice plans and said, you know what? I think we may add a few more. Yeah, we may add a few more live contact periods just to make sure, because that – is the fear of every coach in the National yeah. Football League. How Navy performed, that is the fear that everybody has. We haven't had preseason games. We've had minimal scrimmages. Are, is my team really going to be ready to play big boy football? The, the only thing I can equate it to uh, on the playing side, Buck, is that at App State, we were kind of, we had a reputation as being a very, very physical football team. So, you know, we, we beat Wake Forest a couple times, first week of the season. We, we should have beat Auburn. We lost to Auburn, like, in a one-score game. Uh, you know, obviously, after after I left, they go beat Michigan, you know, first mm -hmm. game of the season. So we just bang. I mean, like, that, that's what they did, and that's what they always did. And you think of some of these other programs, think about being a coach, and you're like, man, I think we've got a team that can win our conference. We've got a national championship team. We've got all our starters back. Like, the tendency would be just don't screw it up. Like, we just – let's just, just don't get anybody hurt. Let's just get out there healthy. We're just – we're good enough, like – at the end of the day, man, it's still there's a mindset and a physicality to it that that you you can't just do that. You can't just say we're good. Let's just roll out there and play. I'll, I'll take this with me. It's funny that you brought up App State and how you guys used to jump on people at the beginning of the season. The team on the West Coast that used to do it for a long time, Fresno State. Yep, Pat Hill. When you would play, when you would play Fresno State under Pat Hill, uh, what did they say? Anytime, any place. Yep. They they would every year. 
they would snatch out a top team, Wisconsin, Oregon. Because when you went to their practices, I just remember stepping on the field like way back, and I'm being like, what? Here we go. Is this? Yeah. Yep. I mean, first period live, Oklahoma drill, half line, taken to the ground, and they are getting after it. And I also remember the players that you took from Fresno State typically always made the team because they understood how to ramp it up. And because Pat Hill had been with Bill Belichick and all those things back in Cleveland, I just believe there is something to being that physical football team and why it is very advantageous, particularly in a year where you had a truncated preseason. No doubt. Um, I want to get to uh, previewing this game here, this big Thursday night game between the Chiefs and the Texans. Um, But before we get there, and after that, we'll we'll give some of our our yearly predictions. I think it's almost a rite of passage. You have to do it. Um, But just your thoughts on uh, Deshaun Watson and his contract, which I thought was fascinating, Buck, when you had the Mahomes with the length of the deal versus Watson, the length of his deal. I think the, the big splashy number with Mahomes, right? But I think if you talk to different agents or, or teams around the league and say, which, which deal would, if you, were, if you were the player, which one would you rather do? I would say it's unanimous that you would get the shorter deal like Watson got. Well, yeah, in negotiation, like you want more bites of the apple. You want to go to the table. At the position that he plays, he always knows that the quarterback is going to be paid at a premium. As long as he plays at a high level, he is always going to be able to cash in. And so even though it is great, both deals, I mean, how, how can you argue? I mean, you get half a, a billion dollars if you're Pat Mahomes and you're Deshaun Watson, you're averaging almost $40 million per. Um, but for Deshaun Watson, if he continues to play at a high level, he is going to be able to surpass Pat Mahomes. And we also know some of Pat Mahomes' deal is really monopoly money. It's yeah. funny money because you know that you're going to have to go back and readdress it. I think the bigger thing, DJ, is just, I mean, let's just go from the time that we've started doing the podcast, like five or six years. Mm -hmm. Just the way the gold standard at the quarterback position has changed. Just in terms of, for years, it was always Tom Brady, Drew Brees, like that style quarterback. And now athleticism is playing such a major role. Now, you don't necessarily want the run first quarterback. But I do believe if you polled all the NFL head coaches and offensive coordinators, they want a quarterback who is athletic, though. He, mm-hmm. If he can buy time and do some other things, that plus category, man, it just changes the way the game is played. So I think if we use baseball scouting terms, you want uh, a terrific pocket passing quarterback with plus athleticism. Yep. You know what I was thinking of? And uh, I know you follow MMA, uh, Buck. I was thinking of really the transformation of the quarterback position and the league in general in uh, in a broad sense is if you look at the way quarterbacks used to be was like the early days of the ufc right you just yeah. just brawlers just gonna stand up and brawl and then what happened uh hoist gracie ended up getting in the mix and you're like wait a second he knows all his jujitsu stuff he's getting on their back they're on the ground they don't know they can't compete in that area and then now you start getting guys that can do everything. They can strike, they can grapple, they can they know jujitsu. And I feel like when we're talking about these skill sets for quarterbacks, I'm not saying it has to be somebody that's going to run around all the time. I'm not saying it's only jujitsu, but if you get yourself into a game that requires some jujitsu, they can do it. If it's a brawling game, they can do that. If it's a wrestling match, they can do that. Like it's just that versatility of a skill set I think that you have to have nowadays. Yeah, and I, and I think is, I think it's great the Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson thing because they kind of fit into the mold of what we're talking about. They're guys that when we drew them up and we wrote, wrote up the reports, 
It was about their game in the pocket, yep. plus some of the athleticism. Deshaun Watson was more of a runner in college than Pat Mahomes. Obviously, like he would run the ball and do those things. And so now that we have those deals done, I do believe it puts the Baltimore Ravens in a very interesting dilemma when it comes to Lamar Jackson, because Lamar Jackson has won an MVP. Lamar Jackson has set all kinds of records, but Lamar Jackson's style is still different than Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So how do you value that style when it comes to putting a dollar on it? Do you mm-hmm. value it at the level of Deshaun Watson, where you say, look, I'm going to pay him $40 million a year on a four-year deal, knowing that the bulk of his stuff is running, and I know at the end of those four years, I'll reevaluate whether we want to continue with this marriage, or am I willing to say, nah, like that's the going rate for a franchise quarterback, and we'll stretch it out if we need to stretch it out six to ten years when we know that his athleticism won't set the same level over that span of a long-term contract. Yeah, I, I almost think it's you're going to have to go with Lamar kind of in two or three-year increments, right? Like, hey, I'm willing to pay you. Like, might be a six-year deal, but really we're going to have escapes after two or three years. Like, we're basically going to commit two or three years at a time because, again, you want to just see can he maintain his health with his play style. I think that, to me, is the most important thing. We're going to continue to see him improve because he's going to work hard, and, and, and that's always been his reputation, and he's gotten better as a thrower. I mean, the guy's the MVP of the dang league. Um, but it just to me, the only concern is just the durability side of it, just with the way the style in which he plays. So that to me would would say, OK, I, I love it. And it's he's got a chance to be the best player in the league, the most impactful. But I don't love it necessarily over six, six years from now. I, I like it two years from now. And then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. And so I think the, the funny thing, I think it may be the reverse of what like the Cowboys and Dak Prescott had been haggling over. It may be the team coming. Hey, let's go short term. Hey, we'll give you. Uh, uh, th- three for 120. Yeah. Three years, 120 million. And Lamar may be going, mm, no, nah, yeah. I want four for 160, or I want five for 180, or, or whatever that is, 190. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting who is fighting for more years um, in that contract negotiation. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I, I just I keep thinking about the MMA because remember when they used to introduce the fighters? He's a he's a Muay Thai fighter out of you know you know San Jose, California, or he's a you know he's a what were the other a the terms? He's a, a wrestler. wrestler. He's a grappler. Yeah, yeah all, all those things. They used to say what style you were like, and that was it. Like those guys could do that one thing, and then if the fight found itself in another area, you're like, uh oh. Like if you're they, if you're if you're a boxer. They'd say he's a boxer. You're going up against a wrestler. Well, you better not go to the ground, dude, or that thing is over. I mean, think Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Like think think how Ronda Rousey dominated the women's division coming in like uh, a Mala brother. She would armbar everybody, mm-hmm. and then she got in with Holly Holmes, and then she got in with Amanda Nunez, and yeah, real strikers, like, yeah. real strikers, and that was overwhelming. And I I believe that is something that you're seeing. The position has changed so much, and I think even the old school coordinators have had to relearn the quarterback position in terms of what they want and how they want to utilize those guys. And they've been having to lean on some of the college football schemes and tactics that are very, very prevalent in the lower levels. I love, I just love thinking of all these different metaphors. Cause I, the other thing I was thinking of was uh, like, if you like, it's like a passport, you know, you don't, you don't know when you get on an airplane to play in a game, you don't know where the game is going to go. You know, you might be going to physical land. You might be going to playmaker land. You might be going to precision land. Like, 
you better have a passport that you can get into all these different types of places. Like that's why when I think of some of these quarterbacks, the, the two that just got paid with Mahomes and Watson, they can play any way you want to play. You know, if if hey, if they're gonna sell out and they're gonna leave me a lane, I'll go get. I can go take that twenty yards right now with my legs if I have to. Yeah, and I think I think the thing for them, um, I think Russell Wilson has basically set That's a, a good call. For them That's a good call for for how to age gracefully at the position. Because when you look at Russ now, Russ doesn't really run until the fourth quarter. Yep. Russ is very disciplined and in the pocket and those things. But when it comes to winning time, that's when he goes. The fourth quarter is when they say, hey, let Russ cook. That's when Russell Wilson plays the style of ball that he played very early in his career. And I think for Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, can they take what Russell has been able to do, understand how to manage their carries and put themselves in harm's way? according to the way the game is going, particularly in the late stages. Last, last analogy, then we'll move on. It's, uh, it's being – Russ, like, keeps the floaties on for the first three quarters. He's swimming. Yes. He's, no chance Russ is going <laughs> to no, – no chance anything bad's going to happen. He's got his floaties on. And then the fourth quarter, <laughs> take those things Floaty, off, and he's – Floaties yeah. come off, and he yep. goes. Michael and, Phelps, um, man. And, 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 and it's work for him because when you think about Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson has been one of the more durable quarterbacks – that you've seen, he's there each and every week. Another quarterback who plays like that, I wouldn't put him in the same category in terms of game, but Dak Prescott is kind of like that. Yeah. Dak Prescott reserves his running skills for when they really need it, in the red zone, near yep, the goal, goal line, line. Yep. third and special situations, really at the end of the game, but he stays in the pocket. I think that is the key, as we talked about, a very efficient pocket passer who is a plus athlete who uses it very, very sparingly. All right, one more contract, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to some other topics here. But the Chargers paid Keenan Allen four years, $80 million, uh, $50 million guaranteed. It looks like as we're recording this that uh, uh, Nuke Hopkins is getting a new deal with Arizona. But I think there's something that's kind of interesting about those two if you put them together. We've been saying this, and everybody's been talking about this for a long time. In, in a year, in, in a month, really, we've seen these Watson and Mahomes contracts and the big money, and we celebrate it, and they're the you know face of the league players. But we're also again reminded of the benefit of having these rookie deals uh, with your quarterbacks. You look at what they were able to pay Hopkins. Um, even when Kyler being the first overall pick, he's still grossly underpaid at the position when you consider what it, the going rate is. And obviously, with the, yeah, yeah, and obviously with the Chargers, um, you know, having selected Herbert and not paying Tyrod a ton of money. Um, it's freed them up to go get Joey Bosa done, to get Keenan Allen done. They're going to have a chance to really kind of lock up this nucleus of this team. And then the hope is you can get your quarterback, your young quarterback up and running where you can do what the Chiefs did, which was win a Super Bowl. Should have won two, to be honest, but won one with, with Mahomes on his rookie deal. Houston wasn't able to get that done with Watson, so now it changes the math for them a little bit. But I think it's it's just you start that clock, right? As soon as you draft that quarterback in the first round, start the clock, man. You hope you can put some jewelry in your uh, in your trophy case here uh, before you have to ink them to that big deal. Man, it, DJ, I think it's I think it's interesting, and I mean, I, I, a couple of different ways I would go with this conversation. One, I think it's interesting that. Uh, when you have a quarterback on the rookie deal that you ink the playmakers, not just on offense, but on defense. And you try to make sure that those deals are synonymous with the length of the rookie deal. If you look at Keenan Allen's deal, you talk about a four-year um, extension. Uh, it probably ends right when it's time to pay Justin Herbert. So now yep. you can do the evaluation. Is Keenan Allen still worth 
being paid what a number one is, or do we need to find a young number one to go with a quarterback if it's Herbert that, hey, now we got to pay him, we got to flip the model. Quarterback gets paid, young wide receiver. Um, I think the other thing when it comes to these wide receivers, I think it's interesting the guys that we're looking at that have been paid. We have talked about it of late. As much as we love the speed when it comes to the draft, the guys that are really problematic in our league as the number ones, are the guys that are not the fast guys. They're the guys that are physical and craftsmen. I'm thinking about DeAndre Hopkins. I'm thinking about Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen. Uh, Julio Jones is a freak of nature because yeah. he's big, fast, he's physical. One on, he's a unicorn. Skilled. Yeah, but the rest of these guys, DJ, they're guys that are not that. And the fact that Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas were second-round picks, um, I think as we dig into this like down the line, It'd be interesting to see if wide receiver becomes a position that we're like, hey, man, we can find our guy in the second round. We don't need to burn capital or draft capital in the first round to get a premier wide receiver. How about Devontae Adams? How about Stephon Diggs? I mean, we can go on and on. Uh, You know, Robert Woods, uh, Cooper Cup. I mean, on and on and on and on. I I mean, there's something to be said for that. And I think if you're confident you have a proven track record and being able to know exactly what you want at the wide receiver position. Um, it is a position where you can find value outside of the first round, and that value can uh, immediately turn into premier talent and premier production. All right, one more contract, then we'll get to the Chiefs-Texans. Uh, your thoughts on Clowney, his one-year deal with the Titans? You know, I, I, I have this weird relationship when I think about or this weird view when it comes to Javian Clowney, right? Javian Clowney was the number one overall pick. And a lot of times when we take uh, edge player number one, we think sacks, dominance, disruption, um, being able to put up these numbers. Miles Garrett gets $25 million a year because the last two years he has like 30, like 30 sacks and a bunch of um, production on the quarterback. And so with Jadavian Clowney, I felt like it was always going to be hard for him to get the monster deal that he wanted because you see the disruptiveness, but at some point you still have to be able to get the quarterback down. He's never had double-digit sacks, and I know he has like 80 quarterback hits, but there's a difference in hitting the quarterback and taking the quarterback down. And so I think the deal comes in about where it should be, $15 million, because he is a very disruptive player against the run. He is what I call a flash pass rusher. He flashes at times, but I don't know if you can pay him Khalil Mack money, Aaron Donald money when he doesn't give you that kind of production. Yeah, I mean, he's how this it's, he's better than this. I don't want this to sound the wrong come out the wrong way, but he's kind of he's kind of an Instagram player. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Where it's just, if you look at these little 10-second cut-ups, these 15-second cut-ups, and look, I had him as the best player in that draft. I gave him a huge grade. I recognize the talent. Talent is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't, it ha- just hasn't, he hasn't sustained any success, any consistency. And that, some of that's health-related. I get it. But for his skill set to not ever have uh, accumulated double-digit sack season, I, I see all the pressures. I get that. I know the analytics people will tell you there's no difference between it. There's a difference. You go oh, into yeah. it. You go into you go into the draft room. You go sit in those free agency meetings. There's a difference from guys that finish and guys that get pressures. And he just hasn't been able to put together that type of success. And so, um, I, I look the the league doesn't lie. We when you can play, you're going to get paid. And mm-hmm. 
This guy sat out there forever. And look at the money that he got compared to what some of these other guys you're talking about with Miles Garrett are getting. So that's this is not one team's opinion on Jadavian Clowney. This is the whole league had an opportunity here, and this is what the league believes his value is, which is not as good as his talent level. Yeah, that that is true. And I will also say this, DJ, like if we go, and I think what people have to understand is like what we may think about a player when he's drafted, that's great because that's a projection. Once they get to the pros, that is evaluation on this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is who you are. And I think the thing for Jadavian Clowney that he's never done, he's a great athlete, but he's an unskilled pass rusher. Yeah. Meaning, when I look at him compared to the Joey Bosa's of the world, compared to some of the other guys, the Daniel Everson Hunter. Griffins, the Daniel Hunters, he doesn't have what they have in the toolbox. He doesn't have a fastball, a curveball, and a changeup. His fastball is all he has, but it's not dominant enough for him to get to the quarterback consistently. And so what do you do with a guy like that? This is what you do. You pay him $12 million with incentives to get up to $15 million, And I think he's a mercenary for maybe the rest of his career. It's a one-year deal. I mean, he's, he's kind of similar... I, you know, and Dominican Sue is kind of turning into this, right? And the, at the back end of his career, where he's just doing these kind of continual one, two-year deals. Yeah, and and and, and Jadavian Clowney, maybe he'll get it after this. But I think the bigger thing for the Tennessee Titans, here's what he gives them: um, Harold Landry. Like it's interesting because their, their three edge rushers are Harold Landry, Jadavian Clowney, and Vic Beasley. I believe Vic Beasley is more pass rusher only. Jadavian Clowney is better run player than pass rusher. I think they have to figure out how their rotation is. I think Harold Landry is probably the better player of them all when it comes to who is going to end up being more complete. That's just my opinion. How does how does Mike Vrabel use these guys? Does he kick Jadavion Clowney inside? Because remember, Mike Vrabel was the defensive coordinator for Houston Texans. He moved Jadavion Clowney around a little bit. Um, I think J.J. Watts may have been absent some of that year when he was the D.C. So he got a chance to play, and that might have been Jadavion Clowney's best years when he moved around and he had more responsibility on him. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how Mike Vrabel deploys him to see the maximum value that he can get out of him. Well, I mean, I, I think the most talented player in their front might be Jeffrey Simmons. Um, oh, you know, with, uh, being with, able to use him inside. Question. And you, yes. can, you can kick Clowney in there on some sub situations and let them work off each other. So... Um, they, they've, they've got some dudes up there. I do think that Clowney kind of fits um, kind of the the, uh, the bully, you know, that they're trying to build there in that division, right? They, they pummeled the Ravens just, you know, Ravens are a physical team, and they beat them up. And now you go give Clowney. Clowney, whatever the stat sheet will say at the end of the game, you don't want to be the guy that's got to block him. You're going to be in the tub the next day because he is going to beat you up because it is a bull in a china shop, and he is he's, he's just a very – physical player so I think from a play standpoint um, stylistically he kind of fits into what they're building there uh, under Vrabel I, I, I like that description boiling a china shop I think there's something else that came out of this negotiation not necessarily with the Tennessee Titans but the New Orleans Saints attempting to be very creative attempting to be very I would say NBA MLB like in their dealings trying to get someone to sign them, then trade them, and then offer up picks and cash in exchange. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about the creativity? Now, the NFL nixed the deal, but what no. do you think about 
really trying to think outside of the box to get a deal done with the player that you wanted. Well, we, we talk about using every um, weapon at your disposal when you're putting together a game plan, offensively or defensively. Same thing when you're trying to work around the salary cap, right? I mean, this to me, I, I, I don't mind it. I think if it's it's creative. If I if I'm a team and I've been uh, uh, I've been very you know cost conscious in in constructing my roster and I've got extra salary cap space and you're telling me I can basically use some of my salary cap space to absorb a contract and then get a pick. Like I'm using every avenue I have to try and make my team better. I kind of like it. I think it's fun. No, I, I, I think it's great, and I am so glad that maybe some of it you now. Mickey Loomis and the Saints aren't the young generation, but I am so glad. Like the new generation of general managers and decision makers, they are unafraid. DJ, they're unafraid yeah. to jettison picks. They're unafraid to trade for players. We have seen more transactions that I would say. Yesteryear, we would call those bold moves that you would never see. You would yeah. never see people give up picks for players. And now we're seeing guys like, hey, man, we're all in. We're trying to make it happen. We're going for it now. And we're, we're not worried about what the outside world thinks about us giving up currency for the 2021 draft to 2022. We're trying to win right now. And so I love it. I love the out-of-the-box thinking. I just believe the league is going to a different place. And you have to jump on board. And if you're not adaptable, flexible, creative, you can get left behind. It is interesting, though, you know, on the money side of things next year, we don't know what the salary cap's going to look like. You know, we'll see what happens with these new TV contracts and how they end up trying to defer some of the losses they're going to have this year from no fans or limited fans in the stands. But we don't have a great feel for what that number looks like. So, you know, whatever creativity you saw them attempt in this trade that wasn't allowed, I think we're setting up for this next year, this next calendar year. Man, you, you're going to have to. You're going to see some really creative things take place in our, in order to try and figure this uh, salary cap out. Yeah, no, I think this is going to do that. And I think the the teams that really understand the salary cap, really understand the players that they really want, and are unafraid to make these hard decisions, they're going to be fine. And I think the one thing that I've learned this off season, uh, particularly during training camp, because we've seen a flurry of deals. If you want a player, you can find the money. You can find the money yeah. under the couch cushions to pay the players that you want to keep, the players that you believe are your core players. You can get those deals done. And so we can talk about the economics and whether there's going to be a reduction of the cap. But the teams um, that understand the players that they want, they'll find a way to get it done. Yep, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, all right, Buck, let's jump into this game here real quick. Texans, Chiefs, I, I guess um, – the thing I'm looking forward to the most, and I feel like we've touched on this on the pod before, is I'm look. I'm anxious to see with these two teams. I think you can make a case these are two fastest offenses in the National Football League. Just the most speed they can throw out on the field, um, and so you have play speed, and then you also have pace. Uh, you know, pl- pace of play. I'm anxious to see just how fast these teams look on the grass, and then how fast they play. Th- those are to me are the two things I'm looking forward to. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see these teams. Now, uh, let's, let's focus on the Texans for a minute, right? Because Deshaun Watson's deal is the most recent. So let's look at what they've done with the team. So they lose DeAndre Hopkins. They bring over Ramla Cobb. They have Brandon Cooks. Will Fuller is really kind of the linchpin to their offense because they're drastically different when he plays and when he doesn't play. And then they have David Johnson. Um, I think this team becomes a little more New England-like in terms of the way that they play when Bill O'Brien 
even though he's conceded like control of the offense to his offensive coordinator, I think this becomes more of a dink and dunk team with selective shots down the field. Whereas before, I think it was a feed the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. And it kind of, I would say, stunted maybe a little bit of Deshaun Watson's growth. I think now he has to use the entire field. And that should make Deshaun Watson a better player. And I'm going to say this, and I know people have really dumped on David Johnson because the last year and a half, the last two years in Arizona, he wasn't very good. I think we could see a reemergence of David Johnson, not just as a runner, but as a guy that catches 50 to 60 balls out the backfield. And he makes his mark by tallying scrimmage yards, the combination of running and receiving yards over 100. If he becomes a guy that can give them 100 scrimmage yards a game, I think this offense is not only balanced, but I think it's a more difficult offense to defend than the one that they had with DeAndre Hopkins. I'll say something right now that I don't know that we've ever said about the Bill O'Brien Houston Texans. I think their offensive line is actually going to be good. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson has been running for his life through his entire career. It's a, it's a miracle that he's been able to stay as healthy as he has um, for, for the most part during his time there. But you saw the trades that they made and saw some of the picks. Now, they weren't able to keep all those guys on the field and keep them healthy. Titus Howard missed a big chunk of time last year. But Max Sharpening, who they took, is a good young player. Um, you look at Titus Howard. You look, obviously, Laramie Tunsil, I think, is the most talented left tackle in the National Football League. They've, they've actually got a pretty good offensive line in front of Deshaun Watson, which he has never had before. Um, and so not only are they going to be able to protect him a little bit, uh, I'm anxious to see what David Johnson does running the football. I'm anxious to see what they look like running the football because I think they have a chance. They've got some guys that can get some movement there at the point of attack. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what this Houston offense looks like. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Now, obviously, whenever you talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, the excitement is always on their video game-like offense. Um, and we can talk about Pat Mahomes and the weapons that they have on the outside. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, uh, those guys are terrific. Miko Hartman gives them speed. But obviously, I think a lot of the tension has to be on the backfield. And Clyde Edwards-Alar, like they used the first-round pick on him. The comparisons to Brian Westbrook certainly make your eye, your eyebrows raise because you know how dominant and effective Brian Westbrook was for Andy Reid and that offense in Philadelphia. And so, man, you just think about how this offense has been able to go. And I'll say this, the offense in my mind, took a step back when they lost Kareem Hunt. When Kareem Hunt was there, that offense was unstoppable. And even though they were able to win a Super Bowl and get by, it was still a difference when they didn't have it. Look, they, they got by with some running backs, Damian Williams and all those guys, but now you give them a legitimate playmaker in the backfield and Clyde edwards Solar. I think this offense returns to the level that we saw with Kareem Hunt. And I think they're saying something for an offense that has been scoring 30 points a pop, no matter who is in the backfield behind Pat Mahomes. Who are you looking at uh, defensively in, in this matchup? But I, I, personally, I'm, I'm anxious to just see what, uh, what Tyron Matthew does, you know, with another year of just being comfortable in the system. We saw how much uh, improvement he made through the year last year. Uh, and I think now you get a chance with him, with Spagnolo. He's going to be uh, he's going to be really cut loose. So I'm anxious to see how they use him, what all he does. Look, man, it, it, it should be really exciting. Um, to see what they do because this defense settled in the last six games of the regular season and played well during the playoffs. So now that everyone knows exactly what they're doing, I think they should play play well. Um, I need to shout this guy out because my high school teammate is their secondary coach, David Merritt. Uh, yeah. David Merritt and I uh, 
played together since we were like 15, 16 years old. I went to North Carolina. He went to state. He has worked his way up the coaching ranks. He is ready to be a D coordinator. He handles their secondary. Today is his birthday. So happy nice. birthday to my man, D. Merritt. We get a chance to see him on Thursday. But yeah, I'm excited to see what Tyron Matthew does on defense. And then with the Houston Texans, I don't know if people have talked about it enough, but Anthony Weaver is now the new defensive coordinator. Yep. And the challenge that he has is not only being a new defensive coordinator, but when you've been a defensive lineman all your life, you now think about the game from front to back. And does he have the breadth of knowledge when it comes to secondary play to be able to, be able to put this together? Or does he have people around him to help him put together the back end to match the way that he wants to play on the front end? Normally, DJ, the defensive coordinators that we've seen are guys with either linebacker backgrounds or secondary backgrounds because coverage is so critical in this game. How does Anthony Weaver tie all of this stuff in, being a guy that, look, he made his hay being a defensive lineman. How much does he know about the entire package when it comes to putting to coverage to go with the rush? Yeah, he, I was there with the Ravens when he was a defensive tackle. There was a good player, um, very, very smart. And obviously you see what he's done to, to rise up to the coaching ranks. I, Buck, I, I like, uh, you know, I like a couple pieces they have on defense. But I, when I just look at this matchup, I mean, they, they're going to have to score 35, 40 points to win this game. I, I just don't see this secondary being able to hold up against the Chiefs. No, and it, the, only, the only thing that can help them is the turnover game. We saw this in the playoffs. Uh, Kansas City got off to a slow start, had a couple giveaways. The Texans ran out. The problem is they can hit the three ball. <laughs> I mean, they're like the Houston Rockets. Like, they hit a couple threes, they can get going. And so the big play is, is really the key. I believe for the Texans to win, they cannot let the ball fly over their head. They almost have to play bend but don't break and dare Pat Mahomes to win in a very disciplined style. You can't let them get the gas of seeing Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins or Travis Kelsey have a big play. Because if you do that, you have no chance. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you want to pick a winner in this game? Who do, who do you like in this one, Buck? Uh, I'm going to go to the Chiefs. And I understand the pressure is on them coming back. Uh, all of the dynasty talk, uh, there's really no pressure on the Texans. I just think the Chiefs are a better team. And I think this year's version is better than last year's version. Uh, the only thing uh, that would make me pause for them during the years can they handle the weight of getting everybody's best punch each and every week? But for the opener, I'm a, I got to go with I got to go with the Chiefs. Yep, I, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs on that one too. I don't know where I'd have to look up the numbers of what they've been in openers under Andy Reid, but I know obviously what they are after bye weeks. Anytime he's had a, a long time to get dialed in on an opponent, pretty darn good. So uh, I think the Chiefs win that one. I think the Texans put up some points, but I think the I think the Chiefs end up winning that football game. Um, all right, Buck, let's get some predictions here real quick. Uh, just kind of some season predictions. I'll give you mine, and then uh, I'll see what you got. So I, MVP, I did Dak Prescott, which I think really Twitter was really happy with, except they weren't. Uh, <laughs> defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett. Uh, uh, offensive rookie of the year, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, really going out on a limb with this one with Chase Young. And then coach of the year, I did Anthony Lynn with the Chargers because I think the Chargers, if they you know, somehow were to go 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six and, and sneak in the playoffs um, after you know, moving on from Phillip Rivers, I think that Anthony Lynn would get some credit for that. Man, okay. I dig it. Um, 
I'm 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 a I'm a rocky world because I believe the MVP is going to come out New England. I think Cam Newton is going to reemerge oh, as an MVP nice. candidate. Nice. Uh, I think the Patriots are going to be much better than anybody imagined. So I'm going with I'm going with Cam Newton as my MVP, my Defensive Player of the Year. Like this is interesting because I believe the guy should have got more recognition last year, but kind of fell off at the end. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick will play a bigger oh, role for the yeah. Steelers defense. I think he gets in the mix. In terms of offensive rookie of the year, I'm going to kind of play chalk. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow's position, this offense is much better than people will give it credit for. Joe Mixon being re-signed, um, A.J. Green coming back, Tyler Boyd. I think they have some pieces. I think he's going to put up enough numbers to get that. Um, I love your pick with uh, Chase Young. The Washington Redskins defense should yeah. be nasty, and mm-hmm. he is well-positioned to be in a, uh, a spot to get uh, a lot of recognition. Coach of the year. Let's go with Mike McCarthy for the Dallas Cowboys. Nice. The Dallas Cowboys have really changed up things a lot. Uh, did I cover it all? Am I missing anybody? Offensive player of the year, I guess, but that is typically tied with MVP, so I'm going to go with Cam because I think Cam is going to be extraordinary this year. Can I give you my uh, – I love the Cam Newton call, by the way. The, my uh, – I guess we call it bull prediction or whatever, but just kind of a if you look back on the year and a shocking, a shocking development. I think look, Cam Newton being the MVP would probably classify that as that. I'm gonna say the two guys they're gonna have the most interceptions in the National Football League this year are two players that do not have a career interception in the National Football League. That's my bull oh. prediction. Let me give you who we got. Yeah, please. All right. Antoine Winfield was announced as a starter for the Bucks as a rookie. Oh, Antoine Winfield, when he's been healthy in college, all he does is pick off the football. He's got unbelievable instincts. Obviously, everybody knows his dad. But he's he's going to be playing. You know, you would hope that that offense with Brady and all those weapons are going to get some leads, play with leads. Ball goes up in the air. They have a pass rush with Shaq Barrett and JPP. All that math, to me, kind of works for him being able to get his hands on six or seven balls, potentially. The other one is a name that I think everybody has forgotten about. Um, and that is Nasir Adderley for the Chargers. Nasir Adderley, yeah, Buck, I loved him. I, I thought he was the perfect complement to Derwin James. Derwin James can play down. Nasir Adderley played high at Delaware. He uh, was a ball hawk, unbelievable ball skills. He plays in the preseason. He only played one game. It was against the Niners. I think it was the third or fourth week of the preseason. He had a pick. He almost had three picks. Got his, you could just see him ranging all over the place. But last year, he just he, he wasn't healthy. He missed basically the whole season, um, so he didn't. You just didn't see him out there. So now Derwin James gets nicked. I, I think that's going to provide an opportunity for him. He's healthy now. It's year two. The game slowed down for him. And again, you have a pass rush uh, with Bosa and Ingram. I think what it'll do is it'll free up Rayshon uh, Jenkins to drop down, and then you could put now Nasir Adderley high. So. I don't know. I, these are two young guys with big-time instincts playing behind a pass rush, and to me that bodes well for big numbers. That's the best way to do it. Like The best way to be able to do it is, one, you're playing uh, with an offense that scores points because the offense that scores points puts pressure on the opponent to be able to chase points. That gives you an opportunity. Uh, both of those guys have rushers in front of them, gives them a chance to get um, interceptions off tips and overthrows. So, no, I, I, I like that. I am – Big on that. I got another safety that I want people to keep an eye on. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys surprisingly cut Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Yep. Their starting safety is Darian Thompson 
from Boise State. Oh, I remember Darren. Darren Thompson, when he was coming out of college, he broke Eric Weddle's career interception record in the Mountain West with 19 picks. Guys who get picks in college continue to get picks in the pros. I think he could be well-positioned in Mike Nolan's split safety defense to get his hands on a lot of balls. I like it, man. So we get a little safety, a little bonus nuggets there for you. Um, by the way, real quick, did we uh, – we didn't discuss this yet. How funny is it that, uh, that Josh McCown got that deal uh, to stay in Texas but to be the emergency quarterback? When we've been ta- – once they announced the rules with the practice squad that you could have veterans – I went back and looked it up. I think it was June 3rd or early June uh, when we kicked around this idea on the podcast of basically using the, uh, you know, one of those spots for a for veteran quarterbacks that could do a couple things. They can be your emergency quarterback in case you need them. They can help basically be another quarterback coach um, and, and be able to mentor some guys. Now, I saw some people on Twitter when you tweeted that out. Some people said, how he can't mentor anybody, he can't help anybody when he's in Texas. Uh, yeah, he can. When, when you're Carson Wentz and you say, hey, we, you know, we have the Redskins, and can you go back and watch uh, you know, three, you know, three or four games from Carolina so I can see what you think of that defense that, that uh, when Del Rio was there, what they ran, yes. blah, 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 blah. You're an employee. He basically, Josh McCown can be an employee of Carson Wentz in Texas. He didn't have to be right there. No, he doesn't. And, man, you just talk about Josh McCown wants to be a coach. I mean, this is the ultimate training because you talk about he is now the special projects coach. He is mm-hmm. the guy that does all of the other stuff. And we have heard great quarterbacks. Peyton Manning would talk about the projects that he would give his backup quarterback. So when he was, stepping to, yeah, he was stepping to the room on Mondays, the backup quarterback would have all of this information already ready for him when they began to look towards the next week. I think this is a great uh, thing for Josh McCown. The fact that he was able to play the way that he played in the playoffs, he gives them a lot. And so this is a terrific idea, and I think it works. But, DJ, there's something else that I want to talk about with the practice squad. Um, I don't know if you saw who the San Francisco 49ers have been keeping on their practice squad. I'm trying to pull it up. The names that have, like, guys like, Kevin White is on the squad. Yeah, some veteran guys. I, I did see that. A yeah, so amount of veterans. Okay, so here you go. Kevin White, Deion Jordan, Jonathan Cyprian. Mm-hmm. So these are guys, a lot of with the exception of that of Kevin White, Deion Jordan, what, they played a lot of football. So now, with your unlimited spots, you're putting real players there. And so when we talk about the call-up system, it is something that is real. And I had a conversation with a guy that is a high-ranking official for one of those teams, and he said, Look, man, we feel like we've done a great job with our practice squad. We've done some out-of-the-box thinking. Um, We're trying to make sure that we have loaded it up with guys that can play. So if we get in one of these jams and we need guys to play, we not only have a mix of young guys to develop, but we have players that we really can bring them up and utilize them at a moment's notice. Yeah, it's interesting to see how how different – all the different approaches teams are using with this practice squad. Again, you look at the teams that are ready to win right now, that is, this is their AAA team. You look at teams that may be a little more long-term, they're, they're trying to develop some of their younger guys. So um, different strategies there. I think it makes it fun. Um, anything else you want to add before we jump out of here, Buck? No, look, uh, just make sure uh, when it comes to Hard Knock tonight, tonight is the finale. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, check that out and be able to uh, make sure you check out the podcast by our buddy uh, Peter Schrager. Uh, he'll be discussing that final episode there uh, Tuesday at uh, 10 Eastern is when you can find Hard Knocks and you can find the Hard Knocks podcast. 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, also, inspired by ongoing conversations with players, the NFL launched NFL Votes to empower and improve our communities through the exercise by exercising the right to vote. Uh, join the NFL family by registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit NFL.com slash votes to learn more. Um, I do want to thank everybody that's left us the, the ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcasts. We've also asked you guys to let us know who the best high school football player you've ever seen. And some of the names that have come through recently, uh, fantastic. Reggie Bush, Mike Hughes, Anquan Bolden, Peter Wark. I'd love to see some highlights of Peter Wark in high school. Ooh. Shaq Thompson, Tim Dwight. People forget Tim Dwight could fly. Uh, yeah. And Jadavian Clowney. Not a surprise there with Clowney, Buck. No, not a surprise at all. Like, he was a dominant player in high school, number one overall recruit in his class. But, man, Reggie Bush, Anquan Bolden, because I think Anquan Bolden was a quarterback. Peter Wark, the stop-start quickness that Peter Wark showed at Florida State, I can only imagine what it looked like in high school. Uh, I can't wait till we finally get all these guys and look at some of their huddle highlights and really get excited about what they were um, as high schoolers and also talk about what they were in the National Football League. Yeah, I love it. Thank you guys for, for giving us that feedback. Uh, new T-shirt is available, by the way, Buck. You can find that. How about just that? Go, yes. Just, yeah, just go on my, if you just go on my Twitter, uh, just move the sticks. It's tweeted on there. You can find a link to get it. It's our little election shirt here. Which, I, By the way, did you see that I challenged the, uh, the Around the NFL guys to a debate? I figure it's election season. <laughs> so let's, let's have an a MTS-ATN debate, and, uh, and we can have money. And I'll agree to Erica also being a co-moderator. If they want to do two moderators, we can do that. Yeah, Tampoza, she absolutely can get on that. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Enjoy the kickoff to the NFL season. Uh, I know we're looking forward to it. And we will be back to recap that game with a special episode on Friday with our good friend David Shaw, head coach at Stanford, who has a little time on his hands, as it turns out. So he's going to watch this game, uh, and he's going to be able to break it down with us on Friday. So be on the lookout for that podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.